time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Greetings, my friends, and welcome to the Financial Physician Podcast, the first podcast-only show we're doing after 23 years on the radio at WOBM. We are now podcast-only, and I'm very excited about the show, and I'm very excited about the podcast, and you're not going to notice much difference between the radio show and the podcast. You're not going to notice the difference. It's going to be pretty much the same format. And uh, we're going to do financial stuff usually in the beginning of the show. We'll talk about markets. We'll talk about economic numbers that are coming out. We'll talk about personal finances. And then later in the show, we'll get into the crazy current events of the day, politics, things that are going on in Washington, geopolitics, what's going on around the world, and how that affects you. So, uh, again, after 23 years of being on the radio, now it's Lou Unleashed. I don't have to worry about uh, offending the general public. And I talk about controversial things on the show, and uh, I always have. And to the radio station's credit, they very rarely bothered me. They let me do my thing. Uh, but still, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot different when you're on a podcast because... We have like-minded people here on the podcast. You're not going to come to this podcast. You're not going to find it. You're not going to come to it every week if you don't think the way I do. If you're not a patriot, if you're not conservative, you're not going to come to the show unless you just want to troll me. And uh, I had a lot of liberals that used to like to listen to my show, and then they'd send me emails. And I'd say, why do you listen? Uh, But some people can't help themselves. But with the podcast, it's going to attract people who are like-minded, who have the same kind of interests. Uh, and we'll be able on the podcast to talk about things that uh, I could touch on on the radio, but I, I can't really give you my full views on things. So I plan on speaking my mind. I'm always going to bring you the truth. Uh, I'm not going to uh, uh, lie to you. I'm not going to bullshit you. I'm going to tell you the way things are, at least the way I see it. And this podcast now isn't starting from scratch because the podcast has been available for a few years now. So we're starting with an audience already, which is great. I'd hate to start a podcast from the ground up with no listeners. So we have listeners, and I expect the podcast to do even better because all the people who used to listen live on WOBM are most likely going to come here to the podcast. So I think our numbers are going to go up. And I told you on previous radio shows that I was surprised um, an article came out in late May uh, from a... Feeder.com, which is apparently some kind of a podcast uh, site, uh, and they had an article out, the 60, uh, top 60 uh, financial planning podcasts in America that you should listen to, and I was surprised to see that the financial physician was number 18, 
So that's that's pretty good. 18, uh, top 18 uh, financial planning podcasts in America. I'll take it. But I think we're going to move up that list as more and more people come to the podcast from the radio show. And hopefully you guys will help me to build this podcast. I want 10,000 listeners to this. That's where I want to go. That's my first goal. Well, my first goal is to get to 1,000. But, uh, but my goal is to get at least 10,000 and continue to grow it. And I need your help with that. You got to share it. You got to tell your friends about the program. Uh, put it on social media if you can. Uh, and we're going to build this thing. And there's lots to talk about. We're entering a period in this country's history unlike uh, any period we have. And it's going to be uh, no short, a shortness of things to talk about. Uh, from financial markets, the economy, to, to, to political issues, uh, to geopolitical issues. We live in very unusual times. And we're going to cover it all here on The Financial Position. And I try to bring you stuff that you don't get on mainstream media. Uh, the things that mainstream media is going to omit, they're not going to talk about, they're going to spin. And, uh, and I'm going to give you my views on these things for what they're worth. So uh, help make the financial physician uh, grow. Uh, share it with your friends. Uh, we're always available at thefinancialphysician.com, but we're available on Apple Podcasts. We're available on almost anywhere you get podcasts. Uh, this feed goes, Spotify, Audible, uh, Amazon podcast. So whatever platform you like to use, uh, then use it. Uh, but we always have the link to the Podomatic, which hosts uh, this podcast, uh, where we're the number one financial show uh, uh, on Podomatic. That's at thefinancialphysician.com. Now, it's your show. I want to bring you the things that you want me to talk about. So if you are uh, want uh, something covered on the program, uh, uh, please send me an email and say, Lou, would you cover this topic? Uh, if you have personal finance questions, I'd like to do a segment, you know, on each Sunday show about, you know, emails I got, you know, questions that our listeners have. Uh, so send me questions. I'm not going to give you a full name on the, on the air, but uh, I'll read those, those questions and hopefully they're, they're good financial questions that other people can benefit by it. Because if you're asking about it, I'm sure other people could benefit by uh, having that question dealt with here on The Financial Physician. So very exciting times. Our first podcast-only show. Not our first podcast, uh, but let's get started and let's jump right into it. Uh, if you have kids that uh, just graduated high school and are going to go to college, or if you have kids, adult kids that are in college, and when we say adult, we mean 18 or older. There's some things that you need to think about, and you wouldn't think about this, that this is an important thing, but it is. What am I talking about? I'm talking about getting a financial power of attorney and a medical attorney uh, power of attorney. Well, why would we need to do that? You have to understand that uh, there's a law out there. You've heard the law HIPAA, right? It stands for Health Insurance Portability and Accounting Accountability Act of 1996. And, and that legislation has, you know, privacy standards. We, you know, medical institutions can't divulge your health issues uh, to anybody. They just can't do it uh, unless somebody has a power of attorney and, you know, they can get that information. So now that your child is 18 or older and is going away to college, what if something happens to them? They get into a car accident uh, or they, 
they party too much and overdo it and get hospitalized or so, anything that could happen to them. They get ill. Uh, you, they, you can't get the information from the hospital because they're an adult. And how would you like that? You know, you can't find out what the status is of your, 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 your child that just had a car accident, you know, off campus. So you want to do this. Or you could do it online, too. You can get these documents online. They're, they're very, very cheap. Uh, just Google uh, power of attorney template or uh, medical power of attorney template uh, and, uh, and do that. It's a very simple thing to do. It doesn't take long. But until you uh, experience something like this, and I'm sure there's many, many Americans whose child has had a problem at school, uh, and has been hospitalized, uh, and they found out the hard way that they can't get information on their child, or it's very difficult to do so, um, you're going to want to make sure you have that medical power of attorney. And, you know, the financial power of attorney is so you could deal with the financial aspects of what's going on uh, with his care. And uh, what information can't they give you? What's protected? That without the power of attorney, the health power of attorney, you can't get. Uh, any medical history, mental, physical health conditions, the kind of care uh, given to your adult child, you wouldn't even know. What are they doing? I won't know how severe the injuries are or the illnesses, and I don't know what the hospital is doing. So it's, it's so important to do this. And I never thought about it, really, until I came across... An article uh, in Kiplinger that mentioned the importance of this. And like I said, it's a very easy thing to do. And uh, most importantly, it's the medical power of attorney that you want to have. So what does it do for you? Well, the medical power of attorney allows you to make decisions for your adult child if they can't make them themselves. Say they're unconscious, they're in a coma. Uh, and they can't make any decisions. You can make them for them. You could also get the information, obviously, of the status. You can um, authorize which facilities and doctors uh, uh, they can use, which drugs or therapies to pursue, uh, what tests and medical procedures can be done, when and if the patient should undergo surgery, whether, uh, hopefully not, but whether or not to disconnect life support systems. Um, and other things as well. So uh, I can't stress the importance of it. You know, like I said, I've been a financial planner for a long time, and I never thought of it until I came across this, uh, this article in Kiplinger. And I said, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. I really didn't think about it. And you don't want to find out, you know, the importance of this at the wrong time. So, again, just download one. Have your um, adult child sign it. Uh, the power of attorney financial, the power of attorney medical, uh, before they leave in August or September to go to school. Now, when most people die, uh, they have a will. And typically in the will, it'll say, uh, if my spouse is still alive, they get everything. But if my spouse predeceases me, my three children share equally in my residual estate. Well, what does that residual estate mean? Residual estate means 
all assets that do not uh, transfer to a beneficiary uh, or a joint account holder or transfer on death. So if you have an IRA account uh, or an annuity, uh, you have a beneficiary there. Your will has no effect on that. It goes to whoever the beneficiary is. Same is true of joint accounts. You have a bank account and you have one of your children on it, they're going to be the survivor. And we've talked about this in the past, how that's a big problem sometimes because you may be disinheriting uh, your other children. Uh, and may, many people make this mistake, and it's a big mistake. I, I had a, almost a million-dollar brokerage account uh, come to me, and it had a daughter's name on it, and the mother had just died. Uh, and meanwhile, the lady's will said that you know all my assets are split evenly amongst my two children, but by putting the daughter on the, on the account, she basically disinherited her son legally, and very little the son could do about it. So be careful with how you do that. But typically, we say in our will, our, this, our residual estate goes to all our children, and then the executor liquidates all the assets and then writes a check to each of the children, and they can do whatever they want with the money. Now, some parents feel it important to maintain some level of control of the inheritance after they die. Now, some people say, is it okay to rule from the grave? Uh, you know, how, what they do with the money. But, you know, maybe uh, one of your children are not good with money or maybe they have vices or maybe you're afraid they're going to they're gonna blow it. So there's things that you can do in your estate planning to keep control even after you die. And what I'm talking about is trusts. Uh, what a trust does is it allows you to set the terms of how the money leaves the trust and goes to the beneficiary. Uh, and many times these trusts are set up in your will. And the trust name's a trustee. Typically, it's a, another sibling or another family member. Uh, and then you spell out the rules of how that money uh, goes out. Now, say you have certain values and you want the inheritance to... Uh, uh, to deal with your values and what you want to do, or maybe you're trying to motivate certain kind of behavior. So let's look at some of the possibilities of what a trust can do and, and how you can control what happens with this money. Say you wish to encourage uh, employment. Your trust agreement may uh, provide that the only amount of money that can come out of the trust and be given to them cannot exceed the gross income on a W-2. That's kind of interesting. I mean, uh, if I was a beneficiary of the trust and I can't get any money out of it unless I go get a job, I'm going to go get a job and try to earn as much as I can because that's how much I'll be able to get out of the trust. Say you want to encourage your beneficiary to go get a college degree. Your trust agreement may say that the trust will pay for all college expenses. Uh, what if you want to promote marriage? The trust agreement could say that uh, if you get married, I'll pay. The trust will pay for your wedding. How about if you have a, a drug addict child? We, you know, we know how prevalent that is these days. You know, it's it's terrible what's going on in the country. Uh, if you wish to discourage substance abuse or encourage treatment, 
you could provide an incentive in the trust that money can't come out and be given to you unless you have a negative drug test. Or you have to get periodic testing or the trustee will not give you any money. Uh, it seems kind of harsh, but, you know, it's tough love, right? What, what are you going to do? Give, give money to a drug addict child so they can buy drugs and kill themselves? Or just blow the money? Uh, very interesting way to, to control that. Uh, say you want to encourage uh, entrepreneurism. Uh, the trust could uh, distribute money to start a business. Uh, so th this is the reason why people have trusts, uh, to control how that money is spent. Now, again, you could argue whether or not you should rule from the grave. You know, I mean, is how are your kids going to think about you when they find out that the money's in a trust and uh, it's very limited uh, to how you can get that money and what you could spend it on? Some people set up a trust uh, just because they want to periodically give gifts to their church. So you could set up a trust where the church is the beneficiary uh, and 10% of the assets of the trust each year are given to the church. You rather they get it over time versus taking it out all at one time. So for the most part, most people don't need trusts in their lives. But if you're the kind of person that really is wants to control the way the money is used, uh, then a trust works out really well. Now, the problem is, is whenever you have a, a sibling, like say, say you have three children and one of them is a bad apple and the first two children get all their inheritance at once. They're good with money. They, 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 they have no vices. Uh, they're very responsible. But you have one child who is not good with money or has vices, is a gambler, is a drinker, is a drug user. And you don't want them to get all that money because it's going to harm them or harm their financial future because you know that that money uh, uh, is going to be burned up very, very quickly. That's called a spendthrift trust. You, you can set it up. But the problem you have now is that Almost every trust, and I always encourage people who are setting up a trust to make sure that you give the trustee flexibility. And what I mean by that is that don't be so strict on the rules of the trust where the trustee can't override it. Because things happen in life. What if there's a health issue uh, with that one child? You want the trustee to be able to take money out to deal with that. What if uh, the one child finally cleans up their act five years from now? And is getting married and is having kids and, you know, the, his problems are behind him or her. Maybe the trustee could uh, distribute the entire balance of the trust at that point. Some trusts say um, uh, 10000 a year could be distributed by the trustee to the beneficiary of my child. Uh, but you, you you give some latitude to the trustee that if he sees fit to give more than the $10,000, the first thing that's going to happen is once the beneficiary, once the, the sibling knows that the trustee has latitude to give more money, they're going to browbeat their brother or sister for more money all the time. And more often than not, it's going to cause bad blood between them. So you have to keep that in mind.
And one other thing about trust um, is that you should let your child know uh, before you die that their inheritance is going to be a trust and how it's going to work and why you're doing it and uh, your brother's going to be the trustee uh, and I expect you to uh, not uh, berate him or, or, or ride him or hopefully have bad blood with your brother because he won't give you extra money out of the trust. Uh, and it's important. I say, you know, the will is a terrible place to keep secrets. And uh, I'm a big believer in family meetings uh, when you're at the end of your life. Now, you don't have to do this when you're married because if you die, your spouse gets everything. But when you're the widow or widower and you're the last one left, then the next move is going to be generational transfer, meaning you're going to die and the money is going to go to your kids. And you have a special provision for a trust or you're not giving equal inheritances. I mentioned this a few weeks back. Uh, your children shouldn't know that after you die. You should have that discussion. And, and it may not be a comfortable discussion, but you should have it nonetheless. I encourage family meetings. Uh, we have that in my conference room where the whole family gets together. Uh, I'm the moderator. I try to keep everybody on, on level. Uh, I, I endorse what my clients are doing and the reasons why. Uh, and we have a family meeting. Now, if you have children that are in other states, we do a conference call. They get on the phone. We put the phone in the middle of the table, and they're on the meeting too. Why, why did you name this person the executor and not me? Why am I getting uh, uh, less than my other brothers and sisters of the inheritance? Well, maybe it's because they're wealthy and the other kids need it more. Well, you have to have that conversation. The one trust that I don't like, uh, especially in New Jersey, is the revocable living trust. What is it? A revocable living trust does virtually nothing, but... Uh, causes you to spend thousands of dollars to an attorney. So a revocable living trust, the way it works is you set up this trust. It's usually in your own social security. Uh, you put the money in the trust, the living trust of loose Katigna. And uh, I can revoke it at any time and take the money out of the trust. I'm the trustee of my own trust. Uh, the only time you can't be a trustee of your own trust is if it's an irrevocable trust where you can't have any contact with that money. But a revocable living trust, since it can be revoked at any time, you can be the trustee. So what does it do for you? It does one thing only. It bypasses probate when you die. So you, you set up the trust, you, you name your children as the beneficiaries, you die, the money in the trust goes directly to the beneficiaries without probating a will. But probating a will in most states isn't a hard thing to do. You walk into the courthouse with a death certificate and a will. You, wa you walk out with uh, uh, the, um, the letter naming you as the executor. And you uh, liquidate assets and give them to the beneficiaries, as the will states. So the revocable living trust is really not necessary unless you're in a state that has a difficult probate system. And the one that comes to mind is Florida. 
uh, if you're based in Florida, it's not as easy to settle in a state as it is in New Jersey or most states. It's more complicated. So maybe a revocable living trust makes sense there. And trusts are big in Florida. I mean, attorneys do these seminars all over the place in Florida. And they scare you when they tell you all the reasons why you should have this trust. And you pay three to $5,000 to have it drawn up. Uh, and, you know, it'll bypass probate. But I had someone who came to me recently with a revocable living trust. It was in a binder. It was so big. The will, the trust, and everything else. Cost them thousands of dollars. And I said, why do you have this trust? I don't know. Me and my husband went to a lunch, and uh, the attorney you know, was pretty persuasive that it makes sense for us to do this. Uh, we decided to do it. We moved all our assets into trust. All right. I mean, it's not going to hurt you, but it's kind of a waste in most states. So trusts, uh, they have their usefulness. Like I said, if you want to control how inheritances are, are spent, or you want to encourage certain behavior, or you want to deter certain behavior, you certainly could control all that. Uh, but you also got to look at the positives and the negatives of that. You know, is the trustee going to have a problem with the sibling? Uh, is there going to be uh, bad feelings that, you know, I'm being treated like a child, I can't get my money, I have to buy, abide by the rules of this piece of paper that mom did? Uh, but sometimes it's absolutely necessary. Another use for a trust, while it comes to mind, a uh, very useful uh, use of a trust, is a special needs trust. And a special needs trust is for a child who's disabled. And many times, if a child who's disabled gets money, inherits money directly, uh, they're going to lose their benefits, whether it's Medicaid or anything else that they are getting. Uh, so what a special needs trust does is the, the trust inherits their portion of the money and a trustee runs that money and the trustee has a lot of power. The trustee decides how to invest the money. Uh, a trustee does uh, the liquidations, files tax returns uh, and distributes the money for the benefit of the beneficiary. So that's another big thing used for trusts. And like I said, trusts for most people listening to me now are not necessary. But if you have special situations, you want to control the way the inheritance is spent, you want to protect your children from themselves, you have a special needs child, uh, or uh, you're trying to bypass probate, and you want a revocable living trust, uh, or trusts are used sometimes irrevocable trusts where you put money in it, and if five years go by, that asset is exempt from nursing home costs, uh, and you'd qualify for Medicaid sooner. And a lot of people use that. It's called Medicaid. It, it's known as a Medicaid trust, but that's not the title of it. Uh, but this is irrevocable, and you got to understand, when you do an irrevocable trust, you'll never touch that money again. You can't decide how to invest it. You can't take the money out for any reason. And I'll tell you a story. It, it happened to one of my clients. A widow client of mine had an attorney talk her into putting her home in her irrevocable trust. Now, this was the majority of her assets, was this $450,000, $500,000 home. And it's an irrevocable living trust. And she has 100% equity in it, but she can never access it. She sold the house. The trustee, which was her daughter, had to sign all the papers. 
and the money went to the trust account, and she can never see any of it. Now, the trust went out and bought a downsized home for her to live in, but she don't own it. She can't get a reverse mortgage on the house. She can't get a home equity loan on the house. So basically what this attorney did is lock up her money. And it's the most egregious malpractice I've ever seen from an estate attorney. Uh, and I don't know what he was thinking. How you take, you know, you, you could use an irrevocable trust. If a person has a lot of money and they're not going to use 200000 of it, you put it in there. But when a person has very little money besides what's going to be in the trust, you've basically froze them out of their own assets. And boy, is this causing problems for this woman. And it's going to cause problems for the rest of her life because it's irrevocable. You can't go back and undo it. And that's the one thing about financial planning, estate planning, is before you do something that's irrevocable, you better get multiple advice. And that, uh, I told you last week, whether you're making a pension decision on, you know, how you're going to take a pension, a lump sum, or a life annuity, or a survivor annuity, or you're going to make a decision on when to take Social Security, these are irrevocable decisions. And if you put money into an irrevocable trust, there's no turning back from these decisions. So don't do them in haste. And make sure you get the proper advice from not your neighbor, not your son and daughter, but preferably a certified financial planner. And uh, if a lawyer is trying to talk you into a trust, uh, get a second opinion. Now, most certified financial planners can give you that opinion. I'm very familiar with trusts. So you don't have to go to another attorney and pay a big fee to do that. But, you know, talk to a financial advisor that you trust uh, because they have no skin in the game. They don't have no conflict of interest. They're not going to make thousands of dollars to, to put the trust together for you. Uh, and I, I, unfortunately, many attorneys push trust on everybody when it's really not right for them. Trusts have a great place uh, in your life uh, if you need them, uh, but most people don't need them. And before you decide to do it, Make sure you understand what you're getting into. Week for the Supreme Court this week. Uh, major landmark rulings came out this week, and we're going to get deep into it um, later in the program. Uh, but they ruled that uh, schools cannot uh, have affirmative action. They can't use race uh, to allow people into the school. Uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, also, they uh, voted that uh, President Biden does not have the authority to forgive student loans. So uh, uh, that's a huge ruling, uh, especially if you have a student loan and you thought you were going to get a, a break on that. That's not happening, and your payments are going to start up again soon. Uh, and what else did they do? Oh, they also stated that uh, a graphic designer that does websites does not have to do websites for um, uh gay people or anybody else that they disagree with from a religious perspective. Uh, that's a big ruling, ruling as well. And uh, again, we're going to touch deeper into these rulings later on. But they also did something very interesting. They, they, they took on uh, a case that will be decided, I think, in the fall about whether or not the government can tax unrealized capital gains on foreign businesses. And uh, the argument goes that, you know, if I have a stock in a, in a foreign corporation and it's appreciating, but I don't take dividends or income from it, 
why should I be taxed? I mean, it's income tax, and the question is, what is income? And uh, they call it a mandatory repatriation tax. And it was introduced in the 2017 uh, Trump Tax Act that came out and lowered taxes. And, you know, they were arguing this is unconstitutional. Uh, Lower courts have said, no, it's not. Uh, The government has a right to tax you on this. Uh, But how can you call it income and tax it as an income tax when I haven't had any income yet? And if this uh, is allowed to go through, uh, this is a a wealth tax. That's what it comes down to. It's a wealth tax. They're taxing you on the value of your stock or capital gains that you have not realized yet. What if I'm taxed on, I got a $50,000 capital gain? And they want to tax me on that $50,000. And then next year, the stock goes down and the capital gain is gone. Uh, You can't tax people on unrealized capital gains. It's not income yet. So it'll be interesting to see how they they rule this. Now, the 16th uh, Amendment says of the Constitution, uh, Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived without apportionment amongst the several states and without regard to any census or enumeration. So they're saying income of any kind, but they're not saying capital gains that have not been realized yet. So I'm going to keep an eye on this because if this, again, if this gets through, it's, it's going to open the door uh, for taxes on unrealized gains here in the United States as well. Let's face it, the government is broke. They're looking at every way to get money out of us uh, and uh, tax on unrealized profits every year. It's an accounting nightmare. As an accountant, I don't even know how we would deal with that. Uh, as a broker, uh, what is brokerage firms going to have to send you a tax statement every year showing your unrealized capital gains on, on investments you have not even sold yet? And then accountants have to put it on your tax return as income. And then what happens next year when you sell it and you don't realize that same capital gain. Do you get that money back? Is that the way it's going to be? I don't know. But I'm very worried about this. Uh, and uh, I think it's pretty much black and white. Well, the lower, lower courts, uh, uh, the district court and uh, the court of appeals said it's, it's, it's fine. So we'll have to see what the Supreme Court uh, has to say about that. And my guess is that uh, given given the way the court's gone lately with the, with their decisions, that it'll be a six three decision uh, saying that this is unconstitutional. Uh, we're seeing these decisions; they're almost always six three. With a conservative justice who have the um, the majority uh, vote together, and you have the the three most liberal justices uh, voting together in the minority. Now, of course. Again, I'll talk about it later. The left in this country is going crazy because the court is not a leftist court. Uh, And uh, even within the Supreme Court itself, uh, there's all kinds of infighting going on right now. They don't like each other, it seems, based on some um, opinions that have come out uh, where they question each other's um, opinion on it. So we'll get into that later on in the program. But I just wanted to bring this to your attention uh, at this time. So uh, it was announced this week that the GDP, gross domestic product for the first quarter, was revised slightly higher uh, to 2%. 
still pretty low growth, but higher than it was originally. I forgot, I think it was 1.7, and they raised it to 2%. And immediately, interest rates went up in the bond market. Uh, the dollar strengthened, and talk around Wall Street is now that the economy still is positive, uh, a little stronger than expected, that the Federal Reserve will resume interest rate increases. Now, if you recall, they met in June, uh, mid-June, and they decided to pause after 10 straight interest rate increases. They decided to stop for one meeting. But they meet again in uh, July, July 25th, I believe, 25th and 26th. And now it's widely believed on Wall Street that the Federal Reserve is going to have to uh, raise rates again. Uh, and even if Fed came out themselves and said they're going to have to raise at least two more times this year, and the thinking is that, you know, in July they're going to raise it a quarter of 1%, and then there's three meetings left uh, the rest of the year. So, you know, one of those three meetings, they're probably going to raise it another quarter percent as well. So uh, if you recall, just a few months ago, we had banks failing because of their bond portfolios being underwater, uh, and bank runs were taking the money out, the deposits, so they had to sell off the bonds, which made them realize the losses and then uh, caused them to go insolvent. Uh, and uh, But the Fed's still going to do it. It looks like the Fed doesn't care right now about this. And some have conjectured that, well, the Fed wants these banks to go under because all the big boys then will just get bigger, and at the end of the day, we'll have four big banks, and that'll be it. Easier for the Fed to control through digital currencies and everything else. Do I believe that? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know what to believe, really. Uh, wouldn't surprise me. Uh, nothing would surprise me that comes out of the Federal Reserve or the banking system or anything like that. Uh, but we're going to keep an eye on interest rates. If you recall, not only is it affecting the banking system, and a Stanford professor came out recently and said that Half of the 4,000 banks or so in this country are insolvent right now, uh, which is amazing if true. And a lot of that has to do with their bank, uh, with their bond portfolio issues. Uh, and if you're, um, if you're a bondholder, you don't want to hear about rising interest rates because rising interest rates make bond prices go down. It's nice if you're going out to buy a bond, but if you own a bond, especially if it has low interest rate on it, and for 12 years, the Fed kept interest rates virtually at zero. So many bonds out there only pay one and a half, two percent, and now interest rates are five. Uh, obviously, very adverse for the price of those bonds that are existing. Uh, but if the Fed raises interest rates and you have money in a money market fund, those that interest rate is going to go up immediately. They raise it a quarter of a point, the next day, virtually, you'll see a quarter of a point increase in your interest in a money market fund. Now, it goes both ways. When the Fed starts to lower rates, uh, they come down quite quickly as well. If you're thinking about buying a house, you don't want to hear that either, that the Fed may raise interest rates two more times. Uh, that'll make mortgage rates go up, obviously. So uh, the Fed is hell-bent on getting inflation down to 2%. Are they going to be able to do it? Uh, I'm not very um, confident that they can. Uh, I believe that they're going to cause a recession if it's not here already. Now, you know, they raised the GDP in the first quarter to 2%. I don't trust anything. Don't trust any economic number that comes out between now and next year's election. It's all fudged. 
It's all going to be show. It's all going to be uh, manipulated uh, and spun so it looks good. That the economy is great. You know, you heard uh, uh, Biden coming out with his Bidenomics. You know how great the economy is because of his policies. Uh, what world is he living in? I don't know. And then uh, Pierre, Corinne Jean Pierre, whatever her name is, she came out. And she said that Americans believe or are feeling better about their finances because of Biden's policies. But look, 13 million jobs, again, uh, when you think about uh, how Americans feel better about their personal finances, that is important. When you think about wages are going up, when you think about the uh, really good paying, millions of good paying jobs, uh, that union jobs that his policies are going to create, all of people. What world is she living on? What world is she living on? Most Americans, 70% are worried about their finances now, uh, more than they have been in, in a number of years. They're dealing with inflation. Yeah, the reason why jobs are being created is because they're part-time jobs. They're second and third jobs that people are taking on. So all the polling that comes out shows Americans are very worried about their finances. Half Americans can't come up with $1,000 for an unexpected expense. Uh, most American families have maxed out their credit card or are on the way to doing it. Uh, many Americans are, are worried that if we enter a recession, they're going to lose their jobs. Many people who own small businesses are concerned and, and maybe closing the doors. Uh, but everything's fine, and that's, that's the way you're going to be gaslit. Uh, between now and the election, everything's going to be a lie when it comes to economics. The, the unemployment figures are going to be a lie. The GDP is going to be a lie. Uh, and uh, the administration will continue to come out and tell you how good things are. How the policies of Joe Biden are great for the American family. Meanwhile, for something like 25 straight months, uh, real wages have gone down in America. Real wages meaning, you know, yeah, you're getting a 2% raise, but inflation is 5%. Well, real wages are going down under that scenario, and it's happened two, two straight years, every month, wages have gone down. But according to uh, our uh, presidential press secretary, Americans are feeling better about their finances. I don't believe it for a minute. All right, let's take a short break. I'll be back right after the break. Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Scatigna here, certified financial planner, personal finance author, president of AFM Investments. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan and discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company, member FINRA and SIPC, registered advisory services through Argentus Advisors. 
Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates. Hey, welcome back to the Financial Physician Podcast, where we talk money, markets, politics. And uh, if you're uh, just starting to listen to the podcast, you are a live listener at WOBM. Uh, the podcast is up 9 o'clock Sunday morning, and maybe even earlier, maybe even sometime Saturday night. It all depends on when I get the editing done on it. Uh, so just go to thefinancialphysician.com. Uh, uh, nine o'clock Sunday, uh, or if you're on our email list, we're going to email you when the podcast is available. Uh, I'm trying to have the show taped and edited by Saturday morning, so it may even be up by noon on Saturday. It just depends on when I get it all done, but it'll definitely be there by nine o'clock Sunday morning. So if you're used to listening to the show at nine o'clock on Sunday mornings, that's when you're going to go to the podcast. Uh, and listen to our podcast. So it's podcast only now going forward. Hopefully, live listeners at WOBM are at the podcast now. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to be able to listen to our program. Uh, and anybody listen to the podcast, help us to grow the podcast uh, and uh, share it with friends uh, and family. Now, I was telling you for a long time, I said that with the Fed raising interest rates, it ha- is very, very damaging to so many aspects of the economy. I said the housing market because of mortgage rates, the bond market because when interest rates go up, bonds go down, and it's caused the, the banking system to be unstable. We've had uh, bank failures early this year, and we're going to have more. Uh, that has not gone away. And if the Fed continues to raise rates, that's only going to get worse. But how about the national debt? Uh, an article came out this week. It's uh, entitled, Interest on the National Debt Poised to Rise at an Alarming Rate. And uh, that's pretty easy to figure it out. Uh, You know, we had that debt ceiling crisis, whatever you want to, debt ceiling fight. Uh, It it was fake. But anyway, there's no debt ceiling now, by the way. They didn't raise the debt ceiling. They eliminated it uh, until after the election. So, uh, you know... Congress is going to spend like drunken sailors, and especially this administration. So since June 2nd, the Treasury has borrowed an additional $700 billion, pushing the national debt to over $32 trillion. And if you look at the interest rates on this debt, this $32 trillion in debt, the U.S. government has a big problem, which means you and I have a big problem. Now, the surge in borrowing was expected because... For six months, why this was being worked out after we hit the debt ceiling, the government had to borrow from uh, their pension funds. They had, to, they had to rob Peter to pay Paul to get to the June 2nd deadline where they ran out of money. So they had to make all that money up and pay all that money back. So it's not unexpected. but um, And it's not going to stop. I mean, they're going to keep borrowing. They have a $500 billion a month deficit right now. Um, and uh, the government's running massive deficits, and it's a big problem. But the problem is existing debt is maturing 
at you know it's very low interest debt. The, the average debt on the U, uh, the average interest on the U.S. thirty-two trillion in debt is only two percent, and many of that debt is coming due. It's 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 maturing, and we never pay it off. We just issue new debt to replace it. So if we look at the last twelve months, the trailing interest on the debt is about six hundred billion dollars in the last twelve months. This is up from $350 billion just at the start of 2022, less than 18 months ago. So the U.S. government has added an extra $250 billion in interest expense per year just recently. And that's what an average of 2%. And this is just the beginning of the uptrend because uh, as, as bonds mature and as new debt is issued, it's being issued at 5%. And if the Fed keeps raising rates, it's even going to be higher. Uh, the Treasury did a sale of $162 billion uh, in bonds on June, uh, June 26, just last week. Uh, $120 billion in short-term Treasury bills. Well, $58 billion in six-month bills had an interest rate of 5.45%. $62 billion in three-month bills, 5.34%. $42 billion in two-year notes, 4.67%. So you're seeing that the government is having to pay a lot more interest. I mean, if you look at um, six-month bills before the Fed started raising rates last March, they were paying like a quarter of 1%, something like that. And now it's 5.45%. So this is massive, and we're going to see the the interest on the, on the debt just continue to go up as uh, as as the government adds new debt from deficits and refinances maturing debt. This is a big big problem. It's not going to be long before uh, we're going to have a trillion dollars a year in interest cost, uh, which is where we're going to get the money for that. We're just going to borrow more, and some of the big buyers who's going to buy all this debt. Some of the biggest buyers are in the process of reducing their holdings. Foreign buyers um, sold $140 billion in bonds in April. U.S. banks sold $210 billion in Treasury securities and $332 billion in mortgage-backed securities in May compared to a year ago. And this is because of uh, people taking money out of banks. They're still doing it. Deposits are going down. Money market uh, deposits are going up. As people realize that, hey, money markets pay a lot more money, a lot more uh, interest than bank accounts, and I don't have to worry about a bank failure. And that's continuing to this day. We have a record amount of money in money market funds. Uh, and even the Fed's been selling some securities. They're quantitative tightening. So who's going to buy all this? Well, who's going to buy it? It's going to be the Federal Reserve. And they're going to keep printing money. And that's why we're not getting out of this inflation situation. Right? You could say everything you want. The Fed's going to raise rates. Uh, inflation is going to go down. It can't because the dollar is going to continue to be debased as the Federal Reserve prints money and buys the debt that nobody else wants. And uh, until the Fed starts lowering rates again, I mean... The interest on the U.S. debt is just going to continue to go up. And 
Then you borrow more money to pay the debt. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. If I show you a chart of uh, the U.S. debt, it's going parabolic. It's going straight up right now. And that's going to continue. Well, news came out this week that will shock nobody. Uh, at least didn't shock me. The Fed reports that the 23 largest U.S. banks passed their annual stress tests, including Credit Suisse, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Uh, every time they do these stress tests, all these banks pass, right? And then all of a sudden you hear of problems at the banks, right? Uh, I don't trust these at all. Uh, and what they came out to say, they said that um, uh, that their yearly stress test of banks, which have started performing in 2000, after the 2008 financial crisis, revealed that they could withstand a 40% drop in commercial real estate prices and aggregate losses of more than half a trillion dollars without failing. I don't believe that for a second. Uh, the scenarios that the 23 biggest banks faced also included a severe economic recession, 10% unemployment, and a large drop in home prices, and a 40% drop in commercial real estate. And they'll be just fine. Uh, uh, if you believe that, keep all your money in the bank. I would, I would go over the FDIC limits, too. You don't have no worries here. Uh, but... Uh, They've, they've always said that. But they don't take into consideration the Fed derivatives uh, if there is a real shock to the banking system worldwide or a geopolitical event. Um, but every time they do these stress tests, everybody on Wall Street laughs at it because they know that they're all going to pass. Even though we know uh, that um, <laughs> that the banks are in great, in great shape. Uh, but uh, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Well, every day things get worse for the Bidens as new revelations come out almost on a daily basis of how corrupt this family is. Uh, and the evidence is so overwhelming. I mean, they have bank records of millions of dollars of wire transfers uh, to uh, Biden shell companies. Uh, it seems like everybody in the family was getting paid uh, from this. And then you got text messages, shakedowns of foreign uh, officials. Uh, it's, it's just, even the media can't, uh, throw cover for the Bidens anymore. And, and it's the end of Joe Biden. It's just, I mean, he shouldn't be running for president anyway, just due to his mental and health issues and his age. But you throw all this corruption in it. it, it he is not going to be the nominee, uh, that I'm 100% certain of. And especially now that you're starting to see, uh, the media, starting to ask questions. Uh, they're getting very frustrated with the presidential spokesperson not answering any questions regarding this. Uh, Biden snaps at reporters that brings it up. Uh, uh, as many dementia people do, they, they snap and they get angry very easily. Uh, but it, it's the beginning of the end. And it seems that uh, the House Oversight Committee, they just have so much information. You have whistleblowers coming out uh, out of the woodwork, uh, saying the IRS was precluded from charging Hunter Biden, uh, felony charges. It's just one thing after the other. Your government is corrupt. The United States, I don't think it's ever been so corrupt uh, in so many aspects. But just look at the government. I mean, the Justice Department is obviously corrupt. The FBI is corrupt. Uh, the intelligence community is corrupt. Uh, we can go on and on. The media is corrupt, 
but it's just so in your face corrupt now. I mean, the things that uh, that the Bidens have done and left a trail. I mean, you know, wires and the SWIFT system and everything else. I mean, it's not hard to prove that, that these people are, you know, Biden is compromised. What did Biden have to do? What did the family have to give to get these millions of dollars? Obviously, they're not just being given that money for nothing. And the companies that are getting this money don't do anything except pay the Bidens money. So so what is Biden doing? This is what the big concern is. I mean, this is the president of the United States that's making decisions regarding Ukraine. Uh, he's gotten money from Ukraine. You don't think Zelensky knows that and has all the records of that and can blackmail Biden that if he doesn't back him for the war and give him everything he wants, that he'll release all this information? How about China? I mean, China is our biggest enemy. Uh, and they paid millions of dollars to the Bidens. Well, what do they get in return? Uh, this is this is corruption. It's possible treason at the highest levels, and it's uh, almost disgusting to the amount the amount of money that they've done this with. Uh, Congressman Comer on the on the oversight committee is saying it may be thirty to forty million dollars. I mean, five million wasn't enough, uh, uh, and, and it was so big. I mean, in the old days you would get a duffel bag full of hundred dollar bills. That's the way they would bribe you. Now it's just too much money. They can't fit it in a duffel bag because they have to use the SWIFT system and wire it. So, of course, uh, Trump's coming out uh, in his speeches, and he's calling out Biden as the most corrupt president who's compromised, owned by China, and he's not holding back. So he was in New Hampshire this week at a rally, and this is what he had to say about Biden. Five days ago, the IRS whistleblower revealed that Crooked Joe sat in the room while his son Hunter messaged a Chinese Communist Party official, a leader, a very top person. I am sitting here with my father, and we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. In other words, where the hell is the cash? Tell the director that I would like to resolve this right now before it gets out of hand, and now means tonight. I never knew it was that tough. I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows, you will regret not following my direction. I'm sitting here waiting for the call with my father. What the hell is going on? Joe Biden is a compromised president. They have full control over our president. Once again, Trump was right. I've been right about a lot of things. Said only the way that Trump can say it. Um, you know he's that tough. But everything he said is true. And, and then the question is, what do we do about it? You know, what do you do? I mean, the Senate's not going to impeach him no matter how much evidence they have on him. The only thing he could do is resign for health reasons and hope the whole thing goes away. Uh, but he's certainly not going to be the candidate for president in 2024. He can't be. What do you think is going to come out? You know, nothing else needs to come out to show the corruption of the Bidens. There's enough out already, uh, enough evidence. But what else do, don't we know? What other whistleblowers are going to come out? What other documents? What other texts? How many more SARS reports, suspicious activity reports from banks that, uh, do we need? 
So the question is, what's the end game for the Bidens? And I, and I really don't know. I mean, you know, Biden comes out and he says Russia's losing the Iraq war. I mean, just one gaffe after the other. Did you see he was doing an interview with an NBC? I think it was NBC. A friendly host. They never even asked him about any of this stuff. Didn't ask him one question about his son. Not one question about uh, bribery, the money, nothing. But what he did is, after, after the, she, the interview was over, he shook hands, got up while the, 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 the cameras were still rolling and just wandered away. Uh, very uncomfortable situation. Biden has a problem, it seems, uh, exiting uh, uh, rooms uh, during his speech. He spins around, he looks helpless, he looks lost, uh, and he is. And it's a shame. I, I, uh, I, don't, I don't like to make fun of anybody who is, um, who is uh, mentally challenged, who is old, who is senile. But the thing is, he can't be your president of the United States of all places because you can't, you can't say things like this. It's hard to tell, but he's clearly losing the war in Iraq. He's losing the war at home. And he is uh, coming through the fly around the world. And he's uh, not just NATO. So he's losing the war in Iraq, and look, that's a slip, I guess, but there's so many of them. That's the thing. And like I said, the media is starting to turn on him, and when you see that, okay, it's the end. Because once they realize that he's not going to be the candidate anymore, and he's probably going to uh, resign, then, um, then he's He's, uh, he's dead. I mean, once they, the media starts throwing him under the bus, it's over. Now, um, one group that will never abandon him is The View, the ladies of The View, those wonderful liberal ladies of The View. Uh, and uh, Anna Navarro, one of the worst liberals. I don't think there's anybody worse than Joy Bayar. Uh, or Whoopi, for that matter. They're all equally disgusting people. Uh, but Anna Navarro came out and defended Biden by saying it's all about a father's love for his son. The Hunter Biden story, the scandal, the this, the that, it's also the story of a father's love. And Joe Biden has never and will never give up on his son, son Hunter, and will never treat him lesser than. And so he is a father first. Take it or leave it. The... <laughs> Yeah, it's all about a father's love. It's a father's love of money. Uh, and <laughs> these people in the media, they're just so funny. How anything with, with Trump, it's always true. It's always the worst. It's the end of Trump. Anything with Biden, they always try to find an excuse for him. And it's so obvious. It's so hypocritical. Uh, but uh, th them too, the ladies on a view are going to turn against him sooner or later when they... They realize, uh, like everybody else does, that he's a liability to their party and that somebody like Gavin Newsom would be a better candidate or Michelle Obama or something like that. Watch how quick they throw him under the bus. Uh, and that'll tell you that his days are numbered. Now, he's not running for president again. I, I've, I'll bet anything on that. Uh, the question is, does he make it to the end of his term? Uh, either health-wise, mental-wise, or, or, or this corruption issue that just won't go away.
And he's now, I mean, he's a lame duck leader. He was from the day he was uh, inaugurated because uh, he's not a legitimate president and he doesn't know what he's doing. So somebody's running him. Uh, so he's not running the country anyway. But he has no credibility now. I mean, with world leaders and 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 uh, and everybody else. I mean, they know he's a compromised individual, mentally uh, and compromised as a president due to the corruption uh, that he has. So, very very interesting political story. Uh, we're going to watch uh, uh, watch it unfold. But there, there's just so much here. I, I mean, I couldn't cover all the things that came out this week. Uh, but Americans are starting to get it, uh, even though um, the press secretary says that Americans uh, feel better about their finances because of Joe's policies. Uh, we know better. So uh, a new poll came out this week. It shows a staggering wrong track number under Joe Biden. And uh, what do they mean by that? Just 20 percent of voters believe this country is headed in the right direction. 74% say the nation is on the wrong track. I don't think I've ever heard in the history of the United States, 74% of Americans say the country's on the wrong track. Uh, how could a person win re-election when 74% of Americans believe we're on the wrong track? Uh, you, can't, you can't steal an election. You don't have enough cheating that can go on to steal an election with Biden's real approval rating, which some experts are saying are is basically 9 or 10%. And who are these 9 or 10%? Probably the last name is Biden. I don't know. Uh, but uh, he can't win the election. And the Democrats know that. So it's just a matter, I'm sure they're just trying to figure out, what do we do here? How do we get rid of him with the least amount of blood splashing on the party? Uh, and it's been about 70% uh, people say we're on the wrong track for, for over a year now. Uh, and, uh, of course, you know, the administration denies that, that everybody's happy with him. They say that uh, uh, his approval numbers are 43%. Yeah, right. Where did they take that poll? And 53% disapprove. Why would 43% approve while at the same time, 74% think we're on the wrong track. You have to be mentally unstable yourself to think the country's on the wrong track, but approve of what Biden's doing. That's crazy. Uh, what else do we have here? Um, they're also concerned Biden does not have the necessary mental or physical health to be president. Um, that's... Um, 68 percent. 68% of American voters uh, believe he doesn't have the mental capacity or physical health to be president. But he's got a 43% approval rate. Uh, and let's see, is there something here on the economy? Uh, oh, by the way, the new poll came out uh, in the Republican primary. ABC uh, poll came out. Trump has 51% of the vote. Second is DeSantis at 22 Pence at seven, Christie at five, fat slob Chris Christie. I don't like him at all. I did like him for a while when he was governor of New Jersey, but once he went to the beach and sat his fat ass down on the, on the beach when it was closed due to budget uh, issues in here in the state of New Jersey, 
I and almost all people in New Jersey lost total respect for him. Uh, but now he's coming out. He's attacking Trump every day in a very aggressive way. I don't know where he thinks that's going to get him because where's he going to go? He's got 5%. He's not going to beat Trump. Uh, Haley, 4%. Wamaswamy. I like this guy, Wamaswamy. Do I think he should be president? I don't know. I don't think so. But there's a place in the uh, Trump administration for him. Uh, Tim Scott, 3%. Asa Hutchinson, 2%. Um, I probably could do better than Acer Hutchinson if I, if I ran. Uh, so it's going to be Trump. There's no question in my mind for the Republicans, unless they assassinate him first, which is very possible. Uh, and it seems that DeSantis is digging himself a hole every day. He's, people are starting to see who he really is. Um, and, you know, it's funny. Trump's coming out calling, you know, Biden the most corrupt criminal president ever and trump's the one under 37 federal felony indictments and, and trump calls biden rightfully so corrupt and criminal uh, you can't make this stuff up and even since he was indicted i mean trump's gotten stronger his poll numbers have gone up because people know what it is they see it for what it is all right, what else do we have on here? Uh, voter, voters sour on Biden on a wide range of issues in a new poll. Uh, let's see what this says. Um, 39% on the economy, 35% on immigration, 37% approval on crime and violence, and 36% on inflation. Again, if you believe these numbers, how could, how could you have believe these numbers when 75% of Americans think we're going down the wrong track? These are all fudged. That's the one thing about polls, you know, especially polls conducted by the media. Uh, they're always skewed. More more Democrats than Republicans and everything else. Um, and uh, <coughs> so it goes on and on and on. Um, but it's fascinating. If you're a political junkie like myself, it's fascinating to watch how the Bidens are burning up. Boy, thank God the Republicans were able to take the House. Otherwise, this stuff would be buried. You would never see it. And that's a shame because the Democratic Party, they don't care about what's right. They don't care about the Constitution. They don't care about if the president's a crook or not. And that's very disturbing. They just run, they'll never vote to impeach him in the Senate. They could lay out all the evidence, all the wire transfers, transcripts of phone calls, recordings of phone calls, and they'll never vote to remove him from office in the Senate. Uh, will it damage him politically? How could he be worse than he is now? Um, but, you know, he's not going to be removed from Congress. It's not going to happen. I think he may resign um, due to health reasons or whatever, hoping that the bad stuff will go away. I don't know if it will. Before I played you uh, the presidential spokeswoman speaking about Biden's economic policy, saying Americans are feeling better about their finances because of Joe Biden's policies. Well, I know one American family that's feeling better about their finances because of Biden's policies and Biden's actions. The Bidens themselves, who uh, have enriched themselves to the tune of tens of millions of dollars. 
This was a, this was really interesting that came out. I don't know if you saw this. Um, uh, last week, uh, it was revealed that uh, Hunter Biden had been paying for a secret global phone from AT&T for Joe Biden. He's paying 300 a month for this. Uh, and Biden used this phone, obviously, or allegedly, uh, to do uh, whatever dirty work he had to do. And uh, apparently, um, uh, John Solomon, a reporter, got a hold of the number. And he called the phone. And Joe Biden picked up. You can't make this stuff up. Uh, he called them and he said, uh, uh, John Solomon said, one of those documents got leaked to me and I had a cell phone number that Hunter Biden was paying for. So I figured this was my chance. I've been trying to get a fair, a fair comment from Hunter Biden, so I'm going to call the cell phone. So I called the cell phone, and guess who picked up the phone? Joe Biden. He goes, boy, was he shocked uh, when he picked up the phone and found out it was me. Adding, he hung up pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, I mean, what other evidence do you need? <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Uh, and then last week, IRS whistleblowers came forward and claimed that Joe Biden's DOJ buried evidence of Hunter Biden's crimes, stopped the U.S. Attorney David Weiss from bringing charges against Hunter in two jurisdictions, and let the statute of limitations expire. Uh, the IRS sought felony charges against Hunter, send their... Uh, recommendations to uh, Biden's DOJ, and they came out with two misdemeanors. Um, it's, uh, it's so corrupt. The government is so corrupt. It's just beyond, beyond belief. And, uh, but it's, it's all being exposed now, and I don't think there's any turning back. As I mentioned earlier in the program, uh, the Supreme Court had a busy week as it ended its uh, spring term, and uh, their uh, verdicts have caused liberals' heads to explode, uh, including all those in the media. And the first one was the affirmative action ruling. Uh, six to three, uh, the conservatives on the court ruled that it is against the Constitution, against the Equal Protection Act, uh, to favor one race over the other. Uh, that sounds pretty fair to me. Uh, isn't that racist when you let one race have an advantage over another race? In this case, this court, it wasn't against whites versus black. It was actually Asians versus African-Americans. Asians with very high SAT scores uh, were not getting admitted to co uh, colleges like Harvard over uh, a black applicant who may have an 1,100 SAT score. And uh, it's the Asian-Americans that brought the, the lawsuit. Now, of course, uh, there was great division on the Supreme Court. And the new, uh, the new justice, uh, Katanja Brown Jackson, uh, Joe Biden's affirm <laughs> affirmative action Supreme Court nominee. Uh, <laughs> How's that for ironic? Uh, she took a hissy fit. Uh, and she wrote a a dissenting opinion uh, that was uh, lack decorum uh, and not uh, in, uh, it was not very nice, basically calling the conservatives racists here. Uh, uh, so he, uh, 
Justice um, Clarence Thomas, he didn't write the, the opinion. He wrote a concurring opinion, and he just tore her apart, basically. Uh, and he um, he said to her, he said, um, uh, Justice Jackson's race-infused worldview falls flat at each step. Individuals are the sum of their unique experiences, challenges, and accomplishments. What matters is not the barriers they face, but how they choose to confront them. And their race is not to blame for everything, good or bad, that happens in their lives. A contrary myopic worldview based on individual skin color to the total exclusion of their personal choices is nothing short of racial determinism. Justice Jackson then builds from her faulty premise to call for action, arguing that courts should defer to quote-unquote experts and allow institutions to discriminate on the basis of race. Make no mistake, her dissent is not a vanguard of the innocent and helpless. It is instead a call to empower privileged elites, privileged elites who will tell us what is required to level the playing field among castes and classification that they alone can divine. Then after siloing us into racial castes and pitting those castes against each other, the dissent somehow believes that we will be able at some undefined point to march forward together into some utopian vision. So, and he goes on and on basically castating her. Uh, the radicals on the court now are not the conservatives. Uh, it's uh, uh, people like this, uh, Ketanji Brown. She's not qualified to be a Supreme Court justice, just like everybody else named in this administration. Uh, she's there because she checks the right box. And uh, nobody in the Senate wanted not to approve her and, and be called racist. Uh, so that's, one, that's just one of the, um, the landmark rulings that came down this week. Uh, the second one was uh, on student loans. Uh, it was announced this morning, I'm taping this on Friday, uh, that... Um, that uh, it's uh, unconstitutional for uh, the President of the United States to uh, uh, him alone decide about student loans. And, uh, uh, and they overruled him. This is a $400 billion giveaway. It was, it was a vote-buying scam is really what it was. Uh, and now what Congress really needs to do Let's face it, I paid for my daughter's college. Why should I pay for somebody else's daughter's student loan? Why, why, why should the taxpayer pay for that? And obviously the Supreme Court uh, agreed on that. And of course, again, you know, everybody, all the left is going crazy on this. How about going after the colleges that raised tuition uh, twice the inflation rate over the last 20 years? You know, maybe we should look at that. Maybe, maybe these colleges, you know, you know, these colleges have as many administrators uh, as they do with uh, teachers. Uh, where uh, they want big universities, uh, the head football coach gets $10 million. The president of the university gets $1 million. And then you had to hire all these uh, diversity administrators and gender administrators and all that craziness. Why any parent would pay money to send their kid to a college these days? I, I don't know. I really don't know. Oh, by the way, uh, 
Biden came out and chastised the court uh, for the um, affirmative action thing. Uh, and, and Biden came out and said, the truth is, we all know it, discrimination still exists in America. And he said that three times. All he wants to do is divide us, this administration. Um, and he almost called the Supreme Court racist. And, uh, yeah, discrimination. How about discrimination against the Asians and the whites who are trying to get into a good school, who have better scores? Uh, that's not discrimination? Of course it is. It's just reverse discrimination. Now, after he mumbled his, his speech about this, oh, by the way, uh, Attorney General, the DOJ had to step in, of course, too, and uh, Attorney General Garland uh, saying that he will, he will use legal tools to promote student diversity. I don't know what that means. Um, and then when Biden was leaving, uh, a reporter shouted out, is this a rogue court? And Biden uh, replied, uh, this is not a normal court. What does that mean? Meaning it's not a liberal court? That's normal for him. But... Uh, instead of just accepting it. Now, Harvey came out. They were named in the lawsuit. Uh, they came out and said that they're going to, um, that the court also ruled that colleges and universities may consider in its admission decisions, quote, an applicant's discussion of how race affected his or her life, be it through discrimination, inspiration, or otherwise. And we will certainly comply with the court's decision. So what they're saying here is that they're going to go around the court. They're going to use uh, uh, the applicant's discussion of race. Also, um, some um, colleges now are not going to use SAT scores. That way you can't say that I'm discriminating against somebody at a higher SAT score. You know, the, the left in this country never accept legal rulings. They always try to figure a way to get around it or just to disobey it. Or ignore it. Um, and that's just the way they do it. What other craziness we have going on here? Oh, yeah, the gender stuff goes goes on and on and on. And uh, listen to this. Um, a, rec a recently passed bill in Michigan can make it a felony to intimidate someone by intentionally using the wrong gender pronouns. Michigan State House of Representatives has passed Bill HB 4474, a piece of legislation that criminalizes causing someone to feel threatened by words. Under the new bill, offenders are guilty of a felony punishable by imprisonment of not more than five years or by a fine of not more than $10,000. Intimidate means a willful course of conduct involving repeated or continuing harassment of another individual that would cause a reasonable individual to feel terrorized, frightened, or threatened, and actually causes the victim to feel terrorized. Um, ridiculous. So if I, if I don't want to agree with your mental insanity that you think you're a girl when you're a guy, and I don't want to call you her or she, I can go to jail for five years and be fined $10,000. Now you can't even say, that's what they're doing. They're trying to make it illegal to think differently. That you have to accept what they want you to accept. Otherwise, you are to be uh, arrested in this case. 
about this headline. 250 Hollywood celebrities sign letter demanding big tech censor anyone who opposes trans surgeries on kids. Some 250 woke Hollywood celebrities from movies, TV, and music have signed their names to an open letter urging big tech companies to crack down on anyone who doesn't fall into line with their trans agenda, including advocating life-changing gender surgeries on children. The letter was sent to the CEOs of Meta, YouTube, TikTok, and Twitter. Um, so uh, now they want to censor you. You have to agree with it. You can't disagree that children shouldn't be mutilated before they even know what they want in life or take uh, hormones that prevent them from going through puberty. Can't even question it. You should be censored. You have to agree with it. So essentially, censoring anyone who doesn't completely advocate removing the genitals of children and sterilizing them. What kind of what kind of world are we living in now? This is insanity. You wouldn't even think that this would be possible ten years ago that we'd be talking about this stuff. It's just unbelievable how crazy this has become. Oh, how about this one? This is a nice little piece of legislation uh, from Maine very liberal place. Uh, the main house uh, concluded a very tight and contentious vote to pass a bill that would allow abortions at any stage in a woman's pregnancy under certain circumstances. So basically you can get a, a, an abortion up to the day of birth. I mean, we've all seen children who were born prematurely, seven months, eight months, even smaller, they're human beings. They are fully formed. They're sustainable outside their womb with the right medical care. Uh, and basically what they did is they have a very, very vague um, wording here. And I, and I, sex, I suggest purposely so. They want it to be vague. So um, what is being changed? The state's current law allows abortions until the baby is viable outside the womb at roughly 24 weeks or six months. In other words, it allows the procedure in the first two trimesters, but not the third. Uh, there's an exception to the current law for conditions that put the mother's life at risk. Under the new law, there would still be a cap at 24 weeks, but would allow exceptions that, after that, if deemed medically necessary by a doctor. What does that even mean, medically necessary by a doctor? I mean, is there any other reason than endangering the life of the mother? That would apply to this? Uh, I guess if something, you know, went really bad you know, and, and the fetus, you know, had something terribly wrong with it, I get, I get that. Uh, but, you know, what's to stop uh, somebody just to doctor shop and find a doctor to sign off on it? What about if the doctor cited uh, mental health issues or stress as the reason to perform the procedure? I don't, I don't get it. I mean, all right, you're pro-abortion, you're pro-abortion, but the day of birth, I mean, who would even perform such a procedure? Uh, it's just disgusting. I mean, you want to talk about a moral, uh, and all backed by the libs and the Democrat and the left. Why are they so... Uh, I don't even know what the word to use. 
uh, immoral, I guess. Um, but it's worse than that. It's worse than that. Evil. It's just downright evil. They they back evil, whether it's transitioning kids, uh, that insanity, abortion to the day of birth. And almost every Democrat votes for this in a state legislature or even in Congress, something like this. Every single Democrat on a similar, a similar vote, now the Republicans won the day on this, about having abortion on demand up to the day of birth. Every single Democrat in the House voted for that. There's not one Democrat that's maybe a Catholic or a Christian that would be against that. They always vote together, no matter how outrageous the legislature is. If they're told by their leaders to vote for it, they do it. This is just outrageous. You know, the, the country is turned into Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you read your Bible, you know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, it's going to happen here, too, in America. All right, the crazy climate change. Oh, right, before I get to that, let's stay with the gender stuff. A Texas college fires biology professor for teaching students that sex is determined by chromosomes. Oh, that's right. What a crazy professor to think that. Um, St. Philip's College in San Antonio, Texas, has reportedly fired a biology professor for teaching students that chromosomes determine sex. In November, four students walked out of Dr. Johnson Varkey's lecture over the standard teaching about X and Y chromosomes, according to First Liberty Institute, a law firm representing the professor. The law firm has now sent a letter to St. Philip's College asking them to immediately reinstate Dr. Varkey to his position and clear his record of any wrongdoing. All right, so this guy has been a 20-year um, professor of biology at St. Philip's College, and he's taught this, obviously, his whole career. But nowadays, you, you can't do that. That's how insane it is. Um, and students started walking out of his class because he was saying chromosomes. Determine your sex. Uh, it's it's just just ridiculous. Uh, what else did they say? They said college said they received numerous complaints about his religious preaching and discriminatory comments about homosexuals and transgender individuals, anti-abortion rhetoric, and misogynist banter, and that his teachings pushed beyond the bounds of academic freedom with his personal opinions that were offensive to many individuals in the classroom. In other words, he was fired for teaching true and widely acceptable scientific concepts. The statements he made, and this is according to his lawyer, the statements he made are supported by research and consistent with his professional experience and education. We shouldn't even have to be talking about this. It's so insane. So now, you know, follow the science. Oh, you can't follow the science now, right? And it's not convenient to follow the science now. All right, lastly, let's do this. Um, uh, climate catastrophizers are coming for your ice cubes. Now they're drawing a line here, right? First it was plastic bags, right? We couldn't have those. Then it was plastic straws. 
then they grew bolder, these climate activists. Uh, they began to come for our gas stoves, right? They don't want you to have gas stoves, dishwashers, air conditioners, gas furnaces. And now they're coming. Did you hear about this this week? They're coming after coal and wood-fired pizza ovens in New York City. This is insane. You got pizzerias that are 100 years old have been grandfathered in with coal. You can't, you can't open up a pizzeria now and have coal or wood burning. It's illegal. But these, these pizzerias have been doing it for 100 years. They were grandfathered in years ago. And now these lefty crazies, you know, in the state, in uh, the city of New York, uh, want them to buy scrubbers to clean the emissions. Like 10 or 12 pizzerias in New York City are going to change climate. So they're trying to take your pizza away. This, this is the last line. It was funny. There's a guy, I don't know if you saw the YouTube video. He shows up at City Hall with five boxes of pizzas. And he starts throwing slices over the, the gate into City Hall. Saying this, this is his uh, New York pizza party. Like the tea party. Uh, it was pretty funny, actually. Um, police came over and wrote him a summons. Uh, then he was on Fox. I think he was on one of the Fox shows uh, the next day. I mean, it was kind of funny, but it's crazy. It shows you how nuts these people are. So now they're coming for our ice cubes. That's right. Uh, if you love cocktails like I do, you like your margaritas, you like your Bloody Marys or fucking club soda like I like, uh, they don't want you to have too much ice cubes in there because it's bad for the environment. Um, and it, this is not a joke. Scientific American magazine did an article uh, entitled Climate-Friendly Cocktail Recipes Go Light on Ice. And they go on to say that the energy it takes to make the ice, oh, oh, they, they, they argue that due to so-called anthropomorphic climate change, it's time to enjoy uh, less ice in your favorite cocktail. And this is, this is a quote in here. For years, the hospitality industry has seen diners clamoring for foods that prioritize climate-friendly practices, such as local and seasonal ingredients that are grown or raised with carbon footprints in mind. Yet cocktail culture hasn't been hit with the same scrutiny. Um, what a crock of crap. This is really insane. So, um, cocktail ice cubes are an existential threat to humanity. <laughs> uh, so, um, they don't want us to use... You know, uh, in Europe, they don't give you a lot of ice in a drink. Ice is not a big thing in Europe, especially Italy. You know, you, you, I ordered a cocktail that had like two ice cubes in it. And that was it. It melted in no time. Had to ask for more. They don't use a lot of ice cubes in Europe. I don't think it's because of climate change. Um, so they go on to say, Today, even in a moderately busy bar, requires a lot of ice to get through the night. Bartenders are advised never to use the same cube twice when going through the steps of making a single cocktail. Chilling glassware, shaking and stirring and serving the drink. It's a process that requires a significant amount of water and energy. Uh it just there's no end to the insanity. Um, Scientific American. Um, maybe when you read Scientific American, maybe you should be drinking a cocktail with a bunch of ice in it. 
to get through it. All right, that's the end of our uh, podcast for this week. Uh, the length of the podcast is going to vary based on what I have to talk about each and every week. Sundays, the main podcast will be up between uh, 9 o'clock. By 9 o'clock and probably sooner, maybe even on Saturday afternoons, I'll have it up. So uh, give us your email at thefinancialphysician.com so we can notify you when we update the podcast. I'll also be doing uh, a midweek podcast starting next week, uh, right around Wednesday of the week I'm going to do. It's not going to be as long as the Sunday show, uh, but just update you uh, what craziness came out between when I recorded this uh, podcast and when I record the next one because every day more and more craziness comes out about all aspects of our lives. Want to get in touch with me during the week? My email address is lou at thefinancialphysician.com. My office number, if you want to come in for a complimentary financial review and consultation, 732-905-8100. Thanks for joining us. Remember, I'm not far right. I'm just right so far. See you next time. Thank you.